Gold, goats, and guns are great investments. But your best investment is an investment in Truth Jihad Radio. Go to truthjihad.com and click on the subscribe at Substack button. Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out Truth Jihad, the struggle for truth on the Internet radio airwaves since 2006. Tonight, we're going to be looking for the truth behind the war in Ukraine. There are plenty of lies out there. You can't miss them in the mainstream media. But if you want to hear a little bit more than what they'll ever tell you, you got to tune in to places like Revolution.Radio, home of free speech on the Internet airwaves. Please help Revolution.Radio survive. Go to that website, Revolution.Radio. It's not a .com or a .edu or anything like that. Just .radio, Revolution.Radio, and find a way to help out. I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com, and tonight we're going to a couple of experts on the energy aspect of what's really going on over in Ukraine. Is this really an energy war between NATO and Ukraine on one hand and Russia on the other? That's sure how it looks. And we'll be getting the deep background on this from Charlotte Dennett in the second hour. She's the author of the book, Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. The lost spy was her father. That's right. Charlotte Dennett's father, Daniel Dennett, was America's leading Middle East master spy. And he was working on a pipeline project that would have put certain powerful nations out of business to the benefit of the U.S. when his plane mysteriously crashed in 1947. And ever since then, well, I guess she had to grow up first. (laughs) For a long time, Charlotte's been trying to solve the mystery of her father's death. And her book is a big step in that direction. And the Ukraine war ties right into this. All the Middle Eastern and Ukraine wars of recent times have been driven by the struggle to control energy resources. And that's also the theme of the latest article by my first hour guest, Tom Luongo of the Gold, Goats and Guns blog. Tom has a this brand new article out over at TomLuongo.me and whatever other URLs he might have. Uh, my energy is your problem, the birth of a new Europe. And it's a terrific analysis of that energy aspect of the war in Ukraine that they will never tell you about in the mainstream media. So let's talk about it. Hey, welcome, Tom Luongo. How are you? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. And uh, I'm always, always good to have you back on the show. I, I had a great conversation with you what, a year ago. It's been a while now. Yeah, yeah it has been. Yeah. And, and the world hasn't gotten any less crazy. <laughs> no, no, that's that's for that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think your analysis is spot on that, you know, what we're seeing is the death spasms of the fiat currency system and uh, Russia hooking up energy to gold mm-hmm. and saying you can't have this stuff unless you play by our rules with nuclear weapons as the ultimate backstop. It looks like they've got some trump cards, as it were. Uh, and that's pretty much the, the 
angle your article takes. So maybe you, you could talk a little bit about why this crucial aspect to this war is completely missing in the mainstream analysis. All we basically hear about is, is good guys versus bad guys, and Putin is the bad guy. Well, that's it's it's a nice simple narrative to uh to outline what people you know what the the people who provoked this war uh, want you to believe and to ignore everything else that's going on. Um, the the big deal here is that the the fiat monetary system, uh, for lack of a better term, the debt based monetary system, not fiat, because kind of all currencies are technically fiat. Um, but the debt-based monetary system has reached its logical conclusion. We're at the point now where we're issuing an exponential amount of debt for a marginal amount of GDP growth. And so we're, we were always going to hit this, this limit, um, being a libertarian and Austrian economist by, by uh, I guess, training or what, uh, what have you. I've always understood that we were going to hit the Mises' crack-up boom. And I think at a certain level, Vladimir Putin understood this as well. And it's just picking the right time for when uh, he was going to make his move, per se, or be forced to make a move, uh, in which he would then have to respond by saying, okay, well, guess what? Your old system is dying. You're literally in the process of trying to force a reset on your own people. I'm just going to, you know, help you continue to make that mistake. I mean, this is, in some ways, when I look at what, how Putin operates, he's, he's very much a Sun Tzu kind of guy. Oh, oh, really? Oh, you're making a mistake? Well, let me help you. Um, I'm not going to get in the way of you helping yourself to making a massive mistake. And the massive mistake here is that the, the West, as defined by what I would consider old European oligarchs uh, and old European money, wanting to wrest control of the global monetary system back to its advantage, places like the United States and, and China have gotten too rich as far as they're concerned. And so it's time to collapse the United States. It's time to pressure China. The only way to pressure China properly is to first destroy Russia. Now, this has been the raison d'etre of the British Empire and uh, the, subsequently the American Empire for the last 150, almost 200 years. And let me briefly, briefly interrupt so, and ask, ask about that. Uh, normally, the number one power, we try to ally with the number three power against the rising number two power. Right. And, and for that reason, it strikes many people as odd that the U.S. or, or the West or the old European banks or whoever it is that's doing this would want to take on Russia separately and then end up fighting both Russia and China rather than trying to ally with Russia and then, you know, stop China from rising. Well, you're right. Uh, and, you know, the Chinese and the Russians have both offered us, you know, peace terms multiple times. Hey, let's create a multipolar world. Let's let's, you know, we'll let's do this. Let's just, you know, let's not have a war. Um, but the problem is, is that it's really not number one versus number three, you know, one, the one plus three versus two, because there's really four players, really kind of five players, though one of them is a very weak minor player, and that would be the Brits. Um, the, the United Kingdom. It's really the United States, Europe, the European Union, Russia, and China. And what the United States and Europe have tried to do is to consolidate uh, their, their position as the global financial uh, behemoth and use that as the, the pressure to push Russia and China down. The, as China was rising, you know, over the last 20 years, and as Russia was getting off the mat, it was clear that 
uh, that the Russians, that the Americans tried to destroy the Russians during the 90s, and Putin said no to this. And the more they, Putin held out his hand to Europe, and Europe kept slapping it away, uh, eventually, you know, culminating in the the overthrow of Ukraine, the uh, the war for Syria, and all the rest of it back in the early part of the last decade, so 2012 through 2014. Um, it became very obvious to Putin eventually that he was going to fight a war with these people because they were not interested in peace. And I think that he's just been playing for time ever since the overthrow of uh, Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. So at some point, it was there, there it is. So And Putin always understood that the way to create Fortress Russia was to make it an indispensable nation in base commodities because he also understood that at some point, the fiat debt-based system would reach its limit, and then it would collapse, and the price of commodities would have to become the thing that would set the value of all financial assets in the next world going forward. The next well, phase that's going to be a huge transformation world. because it is for absolutely. a long time. Yeah, commodity, commodity producers have gotten screwed. Let's absolutely. face it. You know, since the in African independence and you know, third world nominal independence, the people supplying commodities have gotten the worst end of the terms of trade. And, mm-hmm. and the countries that do manufactured goods and value added and now, of course, financial control systems have basically ripped off all the countries that provide the commodities. And so this is, you're talking about turning the world upside down here. Absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. And, you know, it's kind of the the post-World War II era um, dominated by the post-World War II institutional order with, you know, the IMF, the World Bank, the United Nations, whatnot, the World Trade Organization, yada, 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 the G7, the G20, blah, blah, blah. All of that is designed as a, as a kind of financial neocolonialism. It's, European colonialism never ended, Kevin. It's just morphed into, you know, as opposed to, you know, controlling through having viceroys in charge uh, directly to just, you know, create financial terms and financial viceroys, you know, via the uh, by the ever uh, the ever growing debt slavery that they would put commodity producers under. You undermine the local government, you get them to peg their currency to the dollar. And then as the inevitable destruction of the of the 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 value of their bond market is destroyed. You know, they go belly up. They have to then go to the IMF for a loan to get restarted again. And 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 the whole time, nothing but wealth is being extracted out of the country. And the country never grows beyond a subsistence level. And every time it does get a little bit of wealth, it's then well, you know, it's 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 effectively malinvested. They can pull the money uh, out from underneath the, the the economy by by pulling out of the bond market, doing it an economic hitman job on the country, and then. You know, taking all the money. And uh, that's what we've done to places like Argentina over and over again and Venezuela and Chile and, you know, most of Africa. And, like, and they've tried it with the Russians. And not, you don't know, forget the Middle East. The and the Middle East, of course. So, I mean, we can just, you know, it doesn't really matter. So what Putin has basically said is that we're not going to do that and that the um, we're not going to play that game. We're going to continue to build uh, whatever modern economy we're going to be allowed or capable of building under tremendous pressure from the West the entire time he's been in power. Um, and we're going to rebuild our military, uh, and we're going to rebuild our society and our culturally, and we're going to rebuild the image of Russia as a, um, as a viable nation, because it wasn't when he took over. 
to rebuild the esteem of the country, to rebuild the, the institutions, the state institutions within the country, and to rebuild, you know, its basic commodity production as commodity exports to make itself in the indispensable nation to a world that needs commodities in order to, to maintain the level of complexity that we've driven through financialization. And once you're at that point and you have an overly complex society, it doesn't take very much to break the complexity supply chain. And once that happens, the whole thing comes crashing down. It's just Lehman Brothers all over again, but it's at a, it's at a much you know, more massive scale. Then it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Lehman Brothers happen to be, you know, debt based on, uh, it to be, you know, misrated debt based on, you know, robo signed mortgages. Today it could be, you know, food production. It could be just, for, just the, the, the simple delivery of fertilizer and or oil into the open market because we've just destroyed the supply chain to move this stuff around the world. Um, and so Putin understood, understands all this and, and understands also how to play the West for time. Uh, he's done it brilliantly in uh, Ukraine, for lack of a better term. I wouldn't say brilliantly, but he's done it as well as he possibly could. He's done it in Syria. He's outlasted the the U.S. and Syria. Uh, we're going to pull out of there. Uh, and now he's flipped. And now he's flipping literally everybody in the Middle East. He's flipped Saudi Arabia. He's flipped most of the OPEC nations. They're supporting him in his war in in this situation. You now saying OPEC plus thing. Absolutely, uh, we're going to continue staying on the. Uh, the production schedule that we have. Uh, we're not interested in changing that. Not even so, taking Biden's phone calls. Yeah, not even taking Biden's phone calls. Going going even further than that, MBS just called Putin last week. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? And and not only did they did, did he call Putin, you know, or did he ask Putin for the phone call, but then you listen to the, I was I did a show the other day with Alexander Mercurius of the Duran, and he read out, to me live on the show we were doing the Russian readout from that phone call. And I literally burst out laughing because it was, it was literally geopolitical high comedy. Oh, the Saudis and the Russians agree to all the things that the United States doesn't want to hear. Like, and, and it was just couched in perfect diplomatic speak. And it was hilarious um, to listen to it. And like knowing that the Saudis and the Russians who now control OPEC plus and have everybody else, you know, in line, um, you know, the Saudis are going to start taking Chinese are going to think about taking Chinese yuan for their for their oil. They know that with a world going moving towards a commodity based monetary system, a commodity backed monetary system, they understand that every currency peg, good or bad, is going to break. The Hong Kong dollar peg is going to break. The Saudi real is going to break. Every other country that's pegged that's pegged or soft pegged their their currency to the dollar or to the yuan or whatever else is going to break. And that includes uh, countries like Singapore, which manage their their uh, which manage the the, the the Singapore dollar and a kind of soft peg to their trading partners. It's not it's not even going to work for them in the long run. They're going to have a sincere problem trying to maintain you know their very finely tuned. Uh, exchange rate mechanism that they have, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the central bank there has. So it's going to be very interesting watching this play out. But um, there's the energy angle on this is that the Russians have the marginal barrel of oil. They still produce the marginal barrel of oil. Uh, the, the European Union uh, has no other options. They can virtue signal all they want about how Putin is a terrible person and a butcher and a dictator and a this and a that. I was just reading an article on RT before you called just to get caught up and and it was uh, the latest statements from German Chancellor Olaf Scholz saying, you know, that he gets his, his view of Russia from uh, an LGBTQ activist out of Russia. 
Uh, you know, <laughs> well, that's that's good geopolitical. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, well, it, it, it just read his entire thing just read like a Davos wish list. It was hilarious, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're useless, um, except that you don't have any. And at the end of the day, you still have to answer to Siemens and well, Volkswagen and uh, you know BASF and and that and that that's who you have to answer to. And you know, you can virtue signal all you want about this. Uh, but uh, it's not going to matter. Like, at the end of the day, you're going to buy Russian oil, and you're going to buy Russian gas, and you're going to buy Russian coal, and you're going to buy Russian fertilizer. Or you're not going to feed Germans, and then you're going to have a real problem, and you're not going to be in power very long. And um, we'll see. I, it, the, the, the way this is, I don't, you know, the way it's playing out, I don't know that Germany's coalition is going to collapse anytime soon because they're all, you know, they're all in agreement that they have to destroy Germany in order to make their, their, uh, their, their, World Economic Forum masters happy, but you know, you know, and then I don't see the Germans violently overthrowing their government, so they're going to be saddled with these, you know, feckless idiots for the next four years. And uh, that's, you know, Germany was a nice idea, but I can tell you that by the time this this uh, this administration, this Scholz administration, is done, it is not going to be a first world country. I don't care what anybody says. It's the way they're going. It's not going to be a first world country unless they're still buying Russian oil. Uh, and paying for it in rubles, and if they are, well, then the euro is going to kind of fall so far, so fast in a European sovereign debt crisis that it won't matter. The whole of Europe won't be a first world, won't be the, won't be a part of the first world, and, and that's what's and that's what's on the horizon here. So, do you agree with Michael Hudson that this was part of the intention of the American side that provoked this war? No. Uh, it's a war on, on Europe designed to cripple Europe and force uh, the Europeans to prop up the dollar at the expense of the euro and of European prosperity. I think that is Michael Hudson's um, very Marxist view of how things work and very Eurocentric version of how things work. I do not agree with that. And Pepe Escobar also takes that same tact. I think that the Europeans are purposefully destroying their own economy and they are trying to blame it all on the United States. That's what well, they're, they're mostly blaming it on Russia in public. Anyway. Well, they're publicly blaming it on Russia, but they're also publicly blaming it. But people like Hudson and Escobar and others want to blame the United States for everything when it's not the United States that, dr that drives most of this because the United States is not being controlled by Americans right now. Joe Biden doesn't work for the United States. But Barack Obama doesn't work for the United States. He works so for, for the for Davos works, man. Yeah, he works for the he works for the Davos crowd. It's very clear. It's the Federal Reserve. That's actually broken with the Davos crowd and said, no, you're not destroying the U.S. commercial banking system. I, I am a big I, – I am the only one who's been saying this for nine months now. But I've said that the Fed is off the reservation and is not down with the Great Reset. And is, they've been dragging their feet about central bank digital currencies. They don't believe in, in, in any of this. They don't believe in any of this, this nonsense. They were not consulted about any of the sanctions. Powell came out and said that when he was doing his Humphrey Hawkins testimony before the last Fed meeting. He said, look, they didn't even talk to me about this. They just did it like that, like all the spending bills that didn't that didn't that Joe Manchin didn't pass. Those were all blackmail to force the, the Fed to keep Q, doing QE and to keep destroying the dollar. Like, I love this revisionist history of people like Hudson and Escobar who think that the United States is just they're the empire of evil and 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 Europe is a, is a victim and it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. We, you know, these, these people like sheltered all their money during world. These are the same people that sheltered all their money during World War II to build the friggin' war factories to go fight their, fight their war that they picked with, with Hitler in the first place and then got us to fight it for them. 
and killed 15 million, 12 million Russians in, in the process. Like, these are the same people we're talking about. They're the same ones that got themselves involved in World War One. So we're talking about the the, the European uh, oligarchs. All of the old European money, man, who absolutely hate the Yanks and hate the Russians and hate everybody that's not them. I, is, is there I, an overlap here with uh, the Zionists? Yeah, kind of, but I don't really like to go into that. I don't like to go into that area just because it's, there's there's no profit in it in talking about it in those, in those terms. Like, because you know, people are going to throw rotten fruit at you if you do. Yeah, well, that and they'll de-platform you and they'll do all the rest of it. So what's the point? Like, let's not, let's, <laughs> well, well yeah, I'm waging a, I'm waging a truth jihad here, man. Yeah, I know you. I know you are. I, I happen to I happen to exist in a very in, very interesting and nebulous space where I have to you know, I have to play my cards all, not close to the best, but I have to you know, like like yeah, if you want to talk about the rhymes with news, that's fine. Just do it on somebody else's time. Like I don't care. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I actually do have other truth jihadi types who are willing to to go the extra mile on those kind of things. They, but yeah. Then, yeah, have have at it. It's like I don't have a problem with, with I don't have a problem with naming with naming names, but I also think that that's a, a meme or an idea that's also vastly overplayed, and mm-hmm. I think it's actually I think it's actually indiscriminately used just as a as a boogeyman. The same way that Putin is used by the West as a, the same people as a boogeyman. Do I think that there's you know a racial that that kind of racial element to it? Absolutely. Do I think that um, that it's just as uh, it's just as obvious that you know Germans are are and 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 Dutch and and Belgians or French are really racist. Uh, they don't like Italians and they don't like Greeks. They don't like Albanians and they don't like Serbs. They don't like Russians. Well, the like, Wogs start at Calais, right? right? So I mean, it's it, it does. It, it, look, Europe has been fighting this international tribal civil wars for a thousand years, two thousand years, and why should we? You know, why should? You know, why should we we be at blame for their latest one? Mm-hmm. And that's just the way I look at it. When when the truth is, is that I'm not saying this is not to paint the, the United States as any kind of rosy, you know, we're not we're complicit in this. I mean, there's factions within the United States government that are absolutely complicit in this. And, and you know, within the U.S. corporatocracy, don't get me wrong. Like we have plenty of sins to be ex, that we have to expiate ourselves for. There's no, you know. Uh, there, there, there's no shortage of that, but let's not kid ourselves about who the actual victim is here. Okay, that is the part I just absolutely have zero patience for when dealing when talking about any of this stuff because it's just not it's just revisionist history. If well, you want, well, let, like, let's clarify a little bit though what, sure. what you mean. Okay, so you're saying that the uh, this kind of Euro- European oligarchs network is. Uh, responsible for the the war, they're deliberately impoverishing Europe. Absolutely. So why why would they do that? Isn't that their because they base? because they well what what they're hoping for is well they're at that point now where they don't have any other options. Kevin, the problem is is that what they originally wanted to do, uh, and the United States I think and, and the and the Brits fought back against this is that look if we're gonna if we're gonna go down if we're all going down we're going down together and then they're like okay well I guess we're going down together the 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 it's very complicated we have a we have a we have a this this we have a cartel that is fracturing we have a cartel of old money both on both sides of the atlantic that were making money when everybody was when when the when the bubbles were being built right when they were being blown up and now that the bubbles are starting to collapse we're starting to see people you know jump ship and in their own so we've got like the fed and new york and the new york banks aren't down with rolling the entire world up into uh into the central banks and you know cutting out all the commercial banks because you know the european banks are all dead and they don't care anymore right they want to roll everything up to the ecb and the imf and then control things from behind the scenes that way 
uh, and they want to cut New York out of the out of the process. So I'm you know I'm just not I'm saying to myself that's, there's no way that the Fed, uh, as run by Jerome Powell, is going to allow for that to happen. And I think that there's a there's definitely a uh, there's definitely something to that. I don't know how. So, so Jerome Powell's running it, and, and not Larry Fink. What about the, these theories that BlackRock has taken over everything? No, BlackRock has not taken over everything, but they do control. But they do are they are deeply embedded with the with the Treasury Department. So they're Davos. See, the Treasury Department, the SEC, the White House. That, in my mind, is all Davos. You can just read it in in the statements from Gary Gensler and and Janet Yellen and and whatnot. But then when you look at Jerome Powell, he's not going along with any of that. Because if he was going along with any of that, they would they wouldn't have tried so hard to get rid of him on the insider trading scandal last year. They wouldn't have gotten rid of every hawk with a with a a, a nonsense insider insider trading scandal last year. Like yeah, re, got, re, the, re, remind us remind us how, how the head of the Fed is appointed and demoted. Okay, so he's um he's appointed in a four year term by the or nominated by the president every four years, right? And Powell's term was up. You know, last year and or beginning of this in February of this year, uh, he's still just chairman pro tem. He has not been confirmed yet. The confirmation hearing keeps getting put off. Last year, during all of the uh, the wrangling over Build Back Better, I mean, we're kind of off in the weeds off of where I was, you know, about Europe. But let's talk about the just understand about where Jerome Powell sits at this point. Private equity Powell, to remind everybody where he actually comes from, private equity. Um was up for re, is up for reappointment. He is has already drained over a trillion dollars from the overseas dollar markets when he raised the reverse repo rate from zero to, to five basis points in June of last year. Okay, uh, if you look at the reverse repo facility that the, the Fed has, it went from a, a balance of around four hundred fifty billion dollars to one point seven trillion dollars in about two and a half months. It also crushed what was left of any potential support that the euro had above a dollar twelve. And the, it, it, the euro dropped three cents when that happened, three cents that day. Then the euro never drops three cents in a day. The ECB is never allows that to happen. So that's, that tells you that it probably should have dropped six cents that day. Okay. So when that happened, I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? Well, it was very clear that at some point I said to myself that the Fed would eventually have to defend the dollar, otherwise would lose all of its credibility with capital markets. Well, given the way the Biden administration is purposefully like torching the U.S. credibility at every level, including the terrible pull off Afghanistan, the in, innumerable uh, foreign policy gaps from Secretary of State Blinken antagonizing the Chinese and the Russians. Victoria hey, you Nolan, almost think this was deliberate. It was absolutely it was deliberate. I don't I consider these people vandals. I consider our government at this point. You want to talk about truth, Jihad. We have vandals and traitors running our government. I see, I thought they were just incompetent. No, 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 no. That's the that's what they want you to think. That's the that's the key to understanding this. This none of these things happen by accident. They're not just morons. Obama's not an idiot. Okay? And the people that run him are not idiots. They know exactly what they are doing. Okay? And I, I argue with Peter Bookborough about this on my podcast. I'm like, come on, dude. You can't tell me that these people aren't aren't uh, aren't vandals. Come on. Of course they are. Do look at what they're doing. I mean, we have Biden. Okay, so let's finish up with, with, with Powell. So last fall, they're trying to pass Build Back Better. They're lying to us through their teeth about how it's all revenue neutral and it's already paid for. Meanwhile, the CBO, meanwhile, Manchin waits for the CBO report to come out and it says, oh, no, it's going to cost six and a half trillion dollars. And most of the spending is going to happen in the first three years. So it's not revenue neutral at all. Well, where is that money going to come from? The Fed can't sell that debt into the overseas markets. No one wants it. So they're going to have to monetize it. 
So Build Back Better was a blackmail event to force the Fed to monetize another $5 trillion. Why? So because capital flows around the world, is all of this is about capital flow, okay? The European Union does not, in Europe and Davos, doesn't want to see the European banking system collapse. They don't want to see the trillions of dollars in in capital that are there leave and go somewhere else. Okay, they only did that during World War II in order to get build the United States war machine up to then try and you know kill um, uh, uh, Germany and, and Russia, right? This time they don't want that money leaving. Okay, they don't want it going to China and they don't want it going. They don't want it leaving and going to the U.S. They want that money to stay in Europe. That's where their power base is. the The attempt here was with install Biden past $10 trillion or some ridiculous amount of money in spending bills and gut the, 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 uh, the ability of uh, Americans to form and, uh, and maintain capital. They were going to gut the tax system, gut the regulatory system, all of this stuff, you know, stop all investment into oil and gas and, you know, and roads and all that, and, and just about everything, food, all of it. So, so much for rebuilding all the infrastructure. Like right. They were, never gonna, they were never going to do it. They were never going to do any of that. This was all about pork. This was all about just spending money that we don't have in order to destroy what's left of the dollar. Okay. So that was to go on. And then Powell started tightening in June by, by using the reverse repo rate to, to, to draw base money out of the overseas dollar markets, which is what he did. He, tr- he pulled a trillion dollars in base money out of the euro dollar markets. Um. Meanwhile, they were trying to pass Build Back Better in the infrastructure bills before the inflation hit, right? Because they, were, they knew the inflation was coming. They, they printed all that money. It was eventually going to come the minute COVID started to lift and all the rest of it. So eventually, all Powell had to do was talk out of both sides of his mouth about inflation being transitory, waiting for the narrative of inflation to catch up with him and run out the clock on the need for Build Back Better. Once the inflation started to hit and unemployment was at 4% and we had rising inflation, there's no need. We've recovered, but there's no need for Build Back Better. This is the and, game. And specifically, what, what, remind us what Build Back Better actually amounts to. Uh, a, a $6.5 trillion worth of, worth of pork spending. Let's just, let's, that's, <laughs> right. uh, okay, that's, that's all you really need to know. It's a big, massive pork bill de- designed to destroy what was left of, uh, you know, capital handling in the United States and hand out six and a half trillion dollars of, of, of bribes to the Democrats' uh, favored sons. That's what they were doing to ensure that they would that the Republicans would never win another election um, uh, of consequence in this country's history. And in failing that, they would burn the country to the ground. That's been the blackmail. Mm-hmm. OK, that's the that's the Biden administration in a nutshell. Okay. So, so that, that sort of explains their motivation. You know, just pure vandalism for the sake of vandalism sure. doesn't make so much sense. But it vandalism per- in the service to their own power makes more sense. May. It's vandalism in order to transfer the power of the United States to Europe. And then the goal, I think, the goal was absolutely to set the United States against China and Russia at the same time in order to bleed us out spending money on military that we can't afford spending our money on two wars we can't afford. And I think, honestly, Putin got wise to all of it and said, you know what? Uh, No. Um, This is going to be a war no matter what we do. You guys are going to push this to the point where you want us to knuckle under. And he said no, and he got there first. And so as opposed to them throwing the first punch in in the Donbass, he threw the first punch all over Ukraine. And that really upset both their timetables and 
their um and their response because now they don't have a now they don't have the 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 war that they had prepped for Putin didn't give them that war he gave them a different war they how did they want it to play out they wanted it to be an air war over the Donbass oh, and they were, right. And, right and that's and, what a lot of us kind of expected actually right and they didn't get that they got a tank battle all over Ukraine and special forces and hit and run tactics well, no wonder they're so horrified <laughs> right. And they were absolutely they were caught flat footed. They send a whole bunch of stingers in uh, expecting to shoot down aircraft when or javelins to shoot down aircraft. And what they needed were tanks. Mm-hmm. Well, Putin took out most of Ukraine's air force right away and then yeah, imposed did. a de facto Russian no fly zone. Uh, exactly. So, you know, he, and what no one expected and not, I didn't expect it. I don't think anybody expected it. I don't even think Europe expected. It. I think what Europe expected was what they were what they were prepping for, and that they thought, you know, that would bog Putin down in a in a land war in Asia, to quote, you know, the Princess Bride, and uh, you know, and then they'd just be able to throw, you know, material at it and and bleed him out and bleed him white. And that's what they thought they were going to be able to do with all the sanctions. It didn't work. So once you understand that the Biden administration was designed was built from the ground up to destroy U.S. credibility and destroy the capital market's faith in both the Federal Reserve and Congress and our, and our military and, and diplomatic institutions. At that point, the, do you ever see the dollar getting off the mat? No, you don't. And that was the point, because the way you keep the euro, which is, which is stuck at negative interest rates, with $12 trillion worth of negative yielding uh, European sovereign debt. How do you keep that? How do you keep that money from leaving once once the Fed starts to raise interest rates? Because once the Fed starts to raise interest rates, like the German Bund has to go, has to follow the U.S. tenure. Doesn't have a choice. Okay. And so what we're seeing now is exactly the way it's playing out. So I touched on in the article that you talked about at the beginning of the uh, of the uh, of the, the broadcast, which is that this is creating. This is now this the Fed tightening the way they are and threatening to tighten the way they are is forcing carry trade on wines all around the world as everybody realizes that Europe doesn't have a future. And now they've got to buy now they've got to buy oil and gas from the Russians in rubles, which is tied to gold. And the, those are their only options. And that means that they're now going to have to pay whatever price the Russians want, ask for for their oil and gas and fertilizer and everything else. Um, and they're going to have to pay in the Russians' currency. And so now the Europeans are going to have to actually pay the the currency conversion costs. They're going to have to. They're going to have to take on the currency risk. No one is going to hold on to euros at this point because they just because they went along with the U.S. and freezing three hundred billion dollars worth of the the Russians' foreign exchange reserves, nullifying the concept of that foreign exchange reserves or even a, are even are an inviolate thing. Like the, you did this to a nuclear power with a real military. I mean, it's one thing to do it to, to Venezuela. You know, it's another thing to do it to Iran. You've done it to Iran so many times they don't even care anymore. Like. It's another thing to do it to the Russians, who we're all um, that we're all dependent upon. And what are you going to do if you do that? Well, all you're doing is going to send the price of a barrel, the marginal barrel of oil, up. It doesn't matter what you do to the ruble; that it free floats. It's going to offset, and the Russians are going to be swamped with cash. And they're going to, their biggest problem is now: what do they do with all the money they're making? That they how they spend it. They're going to have to so much for these uh, wonderful sanctions that are going to strangle Russia, as the mainstream media keeps telling us. No, it's it's nonsense. That's nonsense. Sanctions always blow back on the sanctioner. You just have to wait long enough for it to happen. Meanwhile, the sanctioned figures out ways around it. Like I, I get, Kevin, I have a I have a thing. I've watched this 
This happened multiple times in my life. I watched the Russian ruble crisis in 2014. I watched Saudi Arabia try to cut Qatar out of the global economy in 2017. I watched the Turkish lira break down in 2018. Um, and I've said the same thing every time. Give it two weeks. If, the, if you don't get regime change in the first two weeks, you're never getting regime change. Mm. Period. And you didn't get the Saudis did, tried the same thing to the Qataris. And guess what? Didn't work. Within two weeks, the Chinese came in, the Russians came in, the Turks came in and floated the Qataris loans and, and, you know, trade deals and currency swap lines and all the rest of it. And the, the situation stabilized. Same thing with the, the Turkish lira in 2018 with the first time the lira blew up. Same thing. Like, and all that happened was, you know, Turkey's other trade partners came in and saw the opportunity to make some money. Yep, and, and that's that, obviously exactly what's going to happen with Russia. In fact, it already yeah, has. it's already has happened for Russia. Exactly. Yep. And um, so this is so when you start to really look at where Davos is right now, they don't really have any other options other than to try and crash the entire global economy in order to try and take everybody down with them at the same time. I wouldn't put that past them. No, that's exactly what they're trying to do. But they just capitulated today. What the European Union just capitulated today for the first six months, for the next like six months or so, because the, the European Union is going to pay for gas and oil from Russia in rubles. They're going to. So, so they pay. actually announced that officially today. Well, they what they've said is we we've got a way of work. We figured out a way to work around it. That's another way of saying the European <laughs> Union is going to do exactly <laughs> yeah, what way is that. There it is. The, that, you know what the, you know what that way came down to? Oh, we've redefined the terms of whether or not it violates the sanctions or not. There you go. It's just that's a, over. Yeah. It's, that's that's what they that's what they always do. They they talk out of both sides of their mouth. These are feckless European, you know, Euro technocrats. They don't have any. They're not. These are not the smartest people in the world. Like the worst part about this is that they they're, they they Davos loves putting weak and weak minded and weak people in charge of these governments. Like Olaf Scholz is a midwit. Ursula von der Leyen is a midwit. Okay, these people are, you know, they're IQ 110. They're just smart enough to run the machines and run and, and, and push the paper around. But they're not actually smart enough to actually set policy. That's not their job. Their job is to do whatever they're told and to believe. And in the case of someone like Vonderland, to believe in the project enough that she will do whatever they tell her to do, because it obviously is going to, you know, get them to their uh, to their their promised land. Well, their promised land is that they're all going to get lynched. Mm-hmm. And that sounds a little bit like Leo Strauss's uh, gentlemen versus the philosophers. The gentlemen are the not so bright politicians and front men, and the mm-hmm. philosophers are the sneaky, uh, smart Machiavellian guys manipulating right. them. Right. And then there's and then there's the the old KGB agent who understands that the best way to um, to figure out how to beat your enemy is to show up at his meetings. <laughs> and that's right. the and, and, that and that's the that. whole you know Putin is a, 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 a Davos agent. He actually went to Davos a couple of times. Yeah, he went to Davos a couple of times. So what? He's they you know I I I, I did another interview earlier today and someone was asking me about this. And I'm like, look, you know, just because he went to a couple of meetings, like Tulsi Gabbard, just because she went to a couple of meetings and was and they they tried to recruit her, doesn't mean that she was actually ever on board with this. Yeah, they showed up to the to the young leaders forum a couple of times. Um, doesn't mean that they still believe in any of that or they were ever, you know, ever proper material. But, you know, at the what I find really funny is that especially a guy like Vladimir Putin, when Putin was being recruited into the WEF, like you don't think that the, the WEF wasn't a thing. Like it was barely a thing. Like 20 years ago, was the World Economic Forum a really important place? No, it wasn't. Did they want legitimacy? 
Yeah. So they, do they put Vladimir Putin on their website? Sure. Like, wouldn't you? Like, if you, you know, wouldn't you put, you know, if you, if you were able to get Putin to show up to one of your, you know, to one of your conferences or whatever and speak once, even though he hated every minute of it, you'd still put him on there. Oh, yeah, well, this conference that we put on last year was very successful, this gold mining conference, and we had Putin, you know, and, like, it's the same thing with, you know, Ron Paul showing up to a gold conference. It, you know, it's the same kind yeah. of thing. I, I, I think that's the level of, you. that's the level you have to really you know, think about in those terms. In, in the case of somebody like Tulsi Gabbard, I think she was recruited early on. And I think, you know, when she was young and inexperienced, and I think after, you know, a few years in Congress and seeing what's actually going on, she's like, oh, these people are crazy. They're, they're scum, and I'm not interested in this anymore. You know, I just that's just that simple. But she's still there on their website because they like to use the meme. Because the World Economic Forum has become a meme. It's become a distraction, become a boogeyman, right, for the real villains that are behind the scenes. I mean, not saying that Klaus Schwab is a villain, not saying that George Soros is a villain. They no, I, I'm saying that, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, some people are like, oh, but the real villains stand behind them and that they're just the front men in the sideshow, right? That the real villains stand even behind them. Oh, that's fine. That's nice. So, you know, just watch when you, when you see, when you see the, 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 the man come out from behind the curtain, it's either, it's either because he's so confident that he's going to win, it doesn't matter, or um, he's too dumb to realize that he's already lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think about James Perloff's idea that this oligarchy uh, has been, uh, well, if you follow the names, he, he likes to look at the CFR. And, and so anyway, he, he thinks that there's Same. there's been this kind of continuous uh, sure. oligarchy uh, that he identifies with CFR and related institutions sure. uh, all the way down the line. You, you agree with that? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I, I, I know that, like, my friend Whitney Webb believes that all this World Economic Forum stuff was actually started by Kissinger and that it's all just an American thing. And I'm like, yeah, okay, do you really think Kissinger works for the United States? Like, really? I mean, I love, I love Whitney to death. She's a, she's a wonderful person and a great researcher. But, you know, a little, you know like, really? Like, I, don't, I just don't see that this all starts in the United States. We're too young for this. Like, it's the we're dealing with people who have been in power we're dealing with institutions that are downstream of the formation of the Bank of England, the formation of the stock market in, in you know, in, in Amsterdam. OK, we're going back 400, 350, 400 years now. Right. This is a long, long cycle. And then even before that, like we're going back to, you know, and you have to realize that that's where this money, that's where the continuum really begins or starts or, you know, and, and it's still just, you know, uh, you know. Uh, downstream of what happened in you know the Italian city states in the 14th to 15th centuries and blah 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 blah. You know, I'm not you know, after that I'm like you know uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I got not over my skis over at that point but I, that's as, that's as far as my my knowledge of this understanding. That sounds you know, kind of like Matt Eretz analysis. We, yeah. we just got a call in question. That's actually sure. a, a Skype chat in question. Sure. Uh, so uh, a listener wants to know who the who the real villains are then. You know, it's a good question. Is, is it the Rothschilds? Is it, is it, uh, you know, is it, I don't know. I mean, at this point, does it doesn't really matter. Like, is it the, is it the, the queen? Is it the, the, the royal family? I, I every day someone are, are they space that, reptiles? I don't think that, I don't think it's that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going there, right? Uh, though I have family members who believe that. So like, I, I'm not, I'm not denigrating it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, you know, me, I look at it and I say, I don't really think it matters who the real villains are. Whether it's Schwab and Soros, or whether it's you know somebody standing behind them, or you know I I, I go with the uh, the real with the, with the old adage that you know the real masters of the world don't have Wikipedia pages like, but do we you know, does it matter because it really doesn't their their agenda is right in front of us they te they're telling us what they're going to do and what they're doing 
And they're arrogant enough to believe that they can pull it off, even if they've told us what the magic trick is. And, you know, the bit, the better thing to, 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 to think about is, are they running their, are they running their script? And if they are running their script, where are the weaknesses in their script? And are the countervailing aid, the countervailing forces against that script, are they winning or losing? And you can make a good argument that both are actually happening. In my mind, I think the forces of decentralization always trump the forces of centralization over time. I think technology, being it being a neutral thing, Matt Eric, Matt Eric would agree with me on this. Um, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, lies are expensive to maintain. Malinvestment is always liquidated, which is another, which is, you know, kind of a Misesian way of saying the same thing. The truth sells itself. And the truth, people understand. They understand the basics of what it is they need to get through their life. They understand, you know, what real costs are. And they can only be bamboozled for so long. And then eventually the bills come due and everybody goes, uh-oh, now what? Oh, wow, I really, I guess we, I guess we weren't really all that woke, now were we? Or, you know, whatever the, the thing of the, the day is. We weren't really all that commie or whatever it is, right? And that's where we are. And we're in that, we're in that ugly period of enough people waking up to the, to the, uh, to the, the, the extent of the problem. It's like that moment in the Lord of the Rings where Sauron says the hour is late and, you know, the, the first meeting between Gandalf and Sauron is meant to be that moment where, you know, we as the, the decent people wake up to the fact that, you know, their, their plans are already well advanced and they're going to win if we don't take radical action. And we're going to, and, you know, and then obviously in Tolkien's story, you know, the most powerful free person in, 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 in Middle Earth is captured, becomes a captured pawn or a captured, you know, bishop for X amount of time. But the, the point being is that, you know, ending of the, the kind of the Tolkien metaphor, where, you know, at, at how, how late is the hour and how many, how many moves do we have? And who's, you know, the countervailing force? I don't believe for a second that Vladimir Putin is operating in anything other than his own best interest and Russia's own best interest. But that doesn't also mean that he's not operating by extension, not purposefully, but in our favor as well. Like, we have a temporary ally in the, te in the Federal Reserve. I hate to say it. I'm, an, I'm a libertarian. I'm an Austrian. I hate the Fed and blah, 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 blah. But guess what? If the Fed is off the WEF's, you know, uh, bandwagon, you know, is, is, out, is off that reservation and it's going to fight for its own survival and that survival and their survival means in the short term that it gives us the breathing space to, you know, to survive, fight, to fight another day and to off and, and to, you know, uh, uh, upset their plans and bankrupt Europe, which is, I think, the real enemy, then I'm all for it. And then yeah, when they're, when they're done doing that. that job, then I'll go back to hating the Fed again. I don't care. Hey, I don't think I ever heard the Fed being the good guy before. Yeah, it's not that the Fed is the good guy. I don't. There's not good guys and bad guys. There are no good yeah, guys. Yeah. There are no bad guys. You know what there yeah. are? There are people. There, there, are, there are people acting in their own enlightened self-interest. Remember, mortal words of Jakar from Babylon Five. The universe runs, runs on a strange admixture of matter, energy, and enlightened self-interest. And that's why cartels always fail. Well, that sounds pretty good. Uh, but pu pulling back, well, I don't know whether I should jump back into history first and question. I was going to, I wanted to ask you whether you think this current situation where Russia appears poised to reverse the debt currency, uh, monopoly and pop that bubble 
and bring us back to a commodities-based world, in a world which will be in favor of these commodity producers who've been getting royally screwed over for decades and decades and generations. And to what extent does that represent actually continuity with what was going on during the uh, so-called free world versus communist world struggle? Uh, according to some analyses, the USSR was on the side of the third world, not so much because of ideology, but because they were all commodities producers mm. and they were all getting screwed by the, uh, the the fiat currency or debt currency and uh, value added people in the right. so-called developed world. And so really this would mean that Putin has, may be able to do what the USSR wasn't able to do and actually, you know, Maybe. beat these colonizers at their own game. Maybe. Maybe that, that's it, it's it's not an analysis I can I can disagree with. Um, it's an interesting take on it. I never really thought about it that way. I'm I'm kind of a doctrinaire free market guy. So the USSR to me is I still have that imprint of the, them just being you know, like evil commies. And, you know, I'm still having a hard time getting over the, the number of people selling killed. Um, so I don't yeah. I can't I can't I haven't been able to get past my own imprinting on this to actually look at it from that perspective. Sorry. Yeah, you were just telling me there are no good guys and bad guys. There's a well, yeah, exactly. And I, I know, but I, I, it's, it's still hard because there are, there are bad guys in the world. They're commies. I'm, yeah, they're psychopaths. Yeah, that too. And, uh, uh, isn't that redundant? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> pretty much. Well, there's some, some capitalist oligarch psychopaths too, actually. Yeah, oh, absolutely there are. But, you know, if you really look at what a capitalist, a capitalist oligarch looks like at the end of the day, He's a technocrat that likes, you know, pure central planning that so say he wins. Rent seekers are just another, like I'm very reductionist when it comes to this stuff anymore. Cause like this, I, I, I really do believe that it's just not worth our time to get into the weeds of whether it's socialism or democratic socialism or third way socialism or communism or narco syndicalism or no, it's all just commies, dude. It's all just commies down the line. <laughs> like it's just make it simple. Kill them like, all and let God sort them out. Well, no, it's a, <laughs> Marx didn't, Marx didn't like create a new term. All he did was finally like describe the process of centralization that comes with rent seeking behavior. And it doesn't matter what you call, what you call it. It all winds up being the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's corporatism versus fascism versus this versus that. It all winds up in the same place. It all winds up in a purity spiral where millions of people are dead and a few people at the top are making all the money. Yeah, and yeah. like, I don't care what you call that. I call it communism because I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I'm a hardcore individualist, and to me, it's just communism. It's just all. It doesn't matter. And they always use the same damn techniques. They change the meanings of words, and they. And that's why I I don't want to get like bogged down in the jargon on this. That's why I get really reductionist about it. I'm like, no, stop. You're just polluting your mind with a whole bunch of words and jargon that don't matter. They're the that's the bad guy. That's the impulse we have to stop. That purity spiral, that left brain, you know, what, what Ian McGilchrist would call left brain, brain possession, you know, with, the, rejecting the entire irrational, you know, intuitive world, the part of your and part of your your, your where culture and and love and emotions and all those things come from. And the only thing you care about is where you're threat and you're 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 trapped in the logic and the purity spiral of. Uh, of the illogic of the left brain who is just worried about losing power. Mm -hmm. Hey, that's an interesting take on it. So that's the way that's, that's the way I look at it anymore. It's just really simple. And it makes so. So if you're right and Russia and everybody else who's actually on that side of all of this is probably going to come out ahead, that means that 
probably, you know, holding uh, dollars and especially holding euros right now probably wouldn't be very smart. And, Not holding uh, euros like, is bad. Yeah, gold, uh, gold and commodities probably are good. Um, yeah. My friend who invests in Russian energy stocks, he can't, unfortunately can't do it, or he would have bought them all up right after the sanctions went on and could have tapped them at pennies on the so, dollar. So yeah, like you're you're describing the gold, goats, and guns news, newsletter portfolio. It's a really funny. The other day, I was re- I was reading Twitter, and Lynn Alden was like, "Well, because of this, 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 and this." And I did the math. I did the came through this and the blah blah blah, blah and I came down to the that it's going to be bad, and you should just buy gold, Bitcoin, land, farmland, silver, and commodities and oil. Don't forget the goats and the guns. Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh, you just described the gold, goats, and guns like portfolio to a T, Lynn." Like, thank you, uh, thank you for the advertisement because that's what we're in. I literally have people in farmland, timberland. Um, Commodities, you know, oil and gas production, gold, silver, a little bit of silver, cryptocurrencies of various flavors, including Bitcoin, and like, and you know, hedges and a, and a euro short, <laughs> like <laughs> short the euro, short the euro, and I'm long food, I'm long meat, right, and um, and meat production because you know meat prices are going through the roof because grain prices are going through the roof. So, um, you know, like you're right about all of that, but I will say this. The dollar, if you're a dollar, if you're a dollar based investor at this point, do not ditch your dollars. Dollar is going to do very well over the course of the next couple of years. Then it's going to crash. You, in order to destroy the confidence that people have in the dollar, first you have to destroy the American economy with a currency that is 30% overvalued. This is Martin Armstrong's argument and he's not, and he's completely right about this. You, it, it, you always have to get, in order for the trend to reverse, you have to get too many people on the wrong side of the trade. Okay, it's the people who are short your thesis that are going to make you the most money if you're long. If you're long gold, you love gold shorts. You love people who hate gold because they're going to force the, the, the price down well below its equilibrium value. You're, they're going to go short and believe that, they're, that short is the right play. And guess what? They have to cover. When well, they've been shorting gold for a long time, haven't they? When, the, when, yeah, well, gold is part of the commodity resource extraction world that they have suppressed. By by suppressing the price of gold, they have suppressed all of the commodities: oil, gas, copper, nickel, fertilizers, you know, whatever, everything, tin, steel, coal, you name it. Okay, down to its literal extraction cost or below. So. If you want to make money on the, and you want to be long, you love the shorts because it's the shorts that are going to blow through all of the over. They're the ones who will have to buy what you want them to buy, what you want bought at any freaking price, regardless of how many people were there earlier, you know, however, however much overhead resistance there used to be. The shorts are going to be the ones that have to climb the wall of worry. They will not give up their thesis until they, they, they've, been, they've been bankrupted. And that's why bull markets climb a wall of worry and why bear markets collapse quickly. Okay. Um, and that's just basic human psychology. So in the same way here, um, you know, don't be upset that people are, 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 you know, are, are against your thesis. Being contrarian is the way you make money in this world. And the contrarian play right now is that the dollar has to go to 150, the dollar index has to go to 150, the yen has to be destroyed, the euro has to literally be destroyed, the pound has to be trading at a dollar ten, the euro at 70 cents, the, euro, the, the yen at, you know, 180 or 200. 
And at that point, the American economy ceases to operate because the dollar is too expensive. It will gut the pension systems that we can't pay the, the because we won't be able to, to service the debt. And therefore, all the pension systems and all the unfunded liabilities will be so many trillions in arrears that the economy will grind to a halt. And that's a couple of years down the line. Yeah, it's a, it'll take a couple of years. It'll take anywhere. Okay, well, let's, uh, hopefully I'll have you back on before that happens. So yeah, thank you so, so much, Tom Luongo of Gold, Goats, and Guns. Uh, really good stuff. Keep up the great work and uh, come on back soon.